This is Disabled Girls Who Lift. We are reclaiming what's rightfully ours one podcast at a time. It's Mary Beth, Chloe, and Marcia bringing you the thoughts and unpopular topics to get you out of that ableist comfort zone. Welcome, folks. It's episode nine of Disabled Girls Who Lift. How we feeling? How we doing? Thank you again for coming back to listen to our podcast. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about disability in the workplace, how to juggle life, discrimination, and all the while, obviously, we're still trying to chase some gains. So as as per usual, I'm Marcia from South Florida. I'm Chloe from Iowa. It's Mary Beth from California. So we're going to come at you with some questions which some of you out there listening can answer as well. (laughs) But I feel like this comes up, and it's going to come up, I think, a lot for you, Chloe, because you're going to go back into the um, employment industry, going out and start interviewing very soon after you graduate. But um, I want to talk about disclosure. Like, how necessary is it for us to disclose our disability from the get-go? Do we check off that box? When they ask us in the survey, um, when we're in a job interview, you know, um, how necessary is it for us? So I generally don't check that box that says I'm disabled. I've never checked it. I don't think I plan on doing it. Um, Personally, I think it's kind of up to the individual whether they want to share it or not, because it's just it's a lot to unpack. Definitely. And I don't I don't really I don't hide or have trouble talking about my issues and, you know, my illness and all that. But if I'm going to a job interview, I wouldn't really just come out and say it because of the perception of what that person's going to have. Yep. If Yeah. So they're going to, oh, well, she's going to need something extra. She's probably not going to be able to work. And, I mean, there's a lot of positions where are we're already kind of, I mean, we're women already, so fuck already. You know, like we already got to work a little extra there. So then you want to add something else on top of it that they're not going to understand. It's like, oh, great. But obviously not everyone has the option. Some people actually Mm. might need some extra help or maybe some modifications to make the workplace accessible. So I'm not sure how I, I would be curious to see how that goes for someone that would like to work but does need, you know, things to be more accessible for example, what if a wheelchair user wants to work somewhere that's been like grandfathered and doesn't actually have ADA ramps? Like, how is that? How does that work out? Yeah, I'm curious about that as well. That's a really good point. Yeah, I think we have to acknowledge like our privilege to be able to not disclose it at an interview because those where it's very obviously, you know, like we said, somebody who has um, CSI, SCI. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Not CSI. Spinal cord injury. Yeah. No, not or somebody sure. that has. <laughs> somebody that has SCI or somebody in a wheelchair walking um wheeling into an interview um the interviewer is gonna you know first-handedly in their mind either say that oh we can't hire this person because of all the accommodations we'll have to make or um what will our clients think what will our customers think having someone with a disability like it's not it's hard because a lot of managers just will immediately um, turn them away. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. It definitely is a privilege where I can just be like, you know what, I'm not going to check this box. But other people need to. 
Yeah, it's definitely a privilege. And it's, for me, it's, there's like a, a circumstance where, you know, my issues would affect me in a regular job, but that's also why I don't have a regular job. So, I mean, we could probably get into that later, but just the idea of, you know, you're going into that interview, and you know, you have requirements, like maybe you have to lift something, you know, you know, like those bullet points, be able to lift 50 pounds or be able to do this and, you know, or how vacation days work and what if you need to make doctor's appointments. So it is definitely a tricky, a tricky line to toe, and it is a privilege to be able to choose whether or not you can disclose it. But I, I am curious how it goes for someone that doesn't have that option. So, so Chloe, do you, do you hide it in an interview or? So interviews are probably my least favorite thing. Cause I like, ideally I'd try to weave it in to the interview at some point. Obviously when you go in for an interview, what's the first thing a person wants to do? They want oh, to yeah. shake your hand. That's yeah. my least favorite part because it's my right hand that's affected. And it's, if you offer your left hand, sometimes I get goofy looks like, oh, this girl doesn't know you're supposed to shake with your right hand. <laughs> Makes oh, a little boy. note. You know what I mean? How yeah. That's the first impression. So there's different ways that I've done it. I don't have like a standard approach yet. Sometimes if I go in an interview and if I'm feeling confident right off the bat, I'm going to be like, I'm going to give you my left hand. I, I can't shake with my right hand. Or maybe somewhere um, during the interview questioning process, I'll bring it up. What about you, either of you? That's that's funny because when I first met you in New York, you gave me your left hand also. And I'm like, huh, what if my <laughs> right hand or my left hand was also the same hand and we would have oh. just shaken with our... Yeah, <laughs> with our limb different hand, and I would have been totally fine with that. I mean, that one was both. But, but like just walking around with you in the streets of New York, you made me feel a lot more empowered in taking my hand out of my pocket. I was like, this chick, you know, this is. I guess she just goes about her normal days like this, and she's already like moved past that. Whereas me in public, I'm still, you know, getting accustomed to. Um, not giving a shit about what people think or not giving somebody this something to stare at. Oh, I'm thinking about it. I just have <laughs> to, I have to make myself do it. I'm like, no, yeah. you, you can't hide this right now. Because I think about in a previous episode, I brought up how my dad yelled at me once for hiding my hands. So that's always kind of in the back of my mind when I'm out <laughs> in like space. Okay. You burned it into your brain. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's interesting because I mean. So um, you might not, maybe you'll show that insecurity or maybe you don't, but either way, just the act of you hiding your hand is going to create a different body language than if you were just, you know, open and, you know, sitting up tall and whatever, like just hiding your hand, they're already going to be like, "Mm, this girl's kind of shy or what's her deal to program. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You're already changing the perception, even though you're trying to hide something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At at a recent interview, so I'm I'm starting a part-time job soon for senior um, helping with senior care in home and in that interview I just went in and I'm like you know what just keep your hands out put them up on the desk where we're talking where they can see it that way I didn't have to bring it up like she could just see it and if she had a question she could ask but she didn't instead she's kind of like oh okay (laughs) there it is yeah (laughs) this is me do you want it or not (laughs) yeah (laughs) I don't need this job no I hope she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> uh, she didn't mean it. <laughs> I didn't mean it. Have you had any like horror stories, or is it just general? 
well, for either of you, general anxiety about what how people react or what they'll say or how they'll judge? So with my current business with the equine massage, I've had only, I can think of one woman right now that asked me, as I was working on her horse, she was like, oh, what happened to your hand? Like she was taken aback. And I explained it to her and it was fine. We just carried on as normal. And sometimes it is nice to get it out of the way that way like we don't have to deal with it with, in future appointments right. but there's other times where like I just want to do my work and I don't want to talk about it I what about you? I totally get that well so I I mean so you interact with one client at a time or one or two clients at a time and yeah. I interact with like 8,000 at a time or 2,000 <laughs> at a time so yes it is something that I would love to get out of the way but it would be a daily like tons of effort like very exhausting work mm-hmm. for me um and then I also have I mean those are 8,000 you know patrons that come to our performances um I don't care so much about the stairs it's more so like I am providing a service for them and I you know just want to take their ticket or I want to help them with an issue that they have um that night but if um you know, we have to stray away from tar- or targeting the issue at hand and constantly talking about my disability. That's going to get in the way of my work. Right. Um, so I don't know. It's it's a lot of stuff to navigate and I think get past. Um, I think I'm so far in this job. I'm like 10 years in this job where oh, 200 wow. of my volunteers um, don't necessarily know that about me unless you're the one or two following me on Instagram who are already very close to me, um, then that's just a conversation that I have to have with that circle first, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, but I think what's great about that job though, is like stressing how important it is, how important it is for us to help our patrons with disabilities. Like I've incorporated that into, into the program um, with so much heart and concern um, where we assist every single person that walks through our door that is in a wheelchair hard of walking is blind like we offer them a shoulder we make sure that ticketing services um, from the get-go are taken care of you know they get all of their options um, online or via phone or via tty um, talk through text and then things like assisted listening devices or ASL interpreters, you know, it, the, the list goes on with how art needs to be accessible. Um, and so showing that, showcasing like the importance there to them, I think is what I care about more so than what people care about me. Yeah. I mean, that's your job is showcasing the art. It's not to explain to everybody why you look the way you do. That's. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we do get those like volunteers who are very you know observant who are like 60 to 80 years old pull you aside and be like hey what are you doing why are you um I noticed that you have your hand like that or what's going on and you know they feel sorry for me and I'm supposed to be their boss and I don't you know there's Uh. a huge line between being a leader and being someone to I don't know feel sorry for (laughs) Mm -hmm. so I don't know Yeah, I I get what you mean. That makes a lot of sense. And so you said you've been doing this for like 10 years already? Well, yeah. So I started that job actually when I 
was a freshman in college and then oh. I only started full time this past year after I left my my, my wine job but wow. I've known these people for that long yeah that's a long time and I mean at that point you're kind of already settled into how you want to get your job done and what you want to do that you're just you just happen to be a person with a disability it's like that it's kind of a, a byline it's not really when you wake up and go to work it's not what you're thinking about yeah how do you handle the the older volunteers that are pulling you aside asking, hey, why is your hand in your pocket? Do you have that conversation with them or do you kind of brush it off and move along? Oh, yeah. No, I like when it's when it comes to me, I definitely have that conversation because it is that important and I'm not living a double life. You know, I'm not proud of my disability online and then ashamed of it in person. Okay. Like, I still have that conversation and tell her, oh, you know, I was born without a hand and um, I'm just so accustomed to keeping it like this. But there are issues in that keeping, you know, an entire left arm so stagnant for such a long amount of time can affect you, you know, yeah. <laughs> with physical therapy. And just, <laughs> so I reset that when I squat. And but I think with my students, it's a very different thing because they're younger and we already have these conversations about disability and inequality and equity um, offline that it's it's a much easier conversation or a conversation that doesn't even need to be had. That's kind right. of where I okay. want it to yeah, get to. Yeah, that's where we want it to be for everybody. So it's easier with the students versus like the older volunteers. Is that what you totally. were saying? Okay. Yeah, and I, I'm probably still like in my head about it, but... That's yeah. how it's going so far. But what's great is like, so, I mean, I hire, you know, the students and I hire the volunteers. Um, we have tons of volunteers who have disabilities because they're much older. Um, like we have someone with a spinal cord injury and she, um, she's in a wheelchair and she hands out programs in a very unique way at the doors. And, you know, we very, we very much pay attention to that and make sure that those people get the proper positions while still being able to like enjoy the show you know like mm -hmm. if they can't walk upstairs they can't volunteer in the balcony so we get them positions on the ground floor we have them manage the coat check or stuff like that so yeah so you thoughtfully deploy them to a position that will work for them yeah yeah we ask them if they have any restrictions or whatever so we don't have those we kind of have those 50 pound, you know, requirements, but we don't really expect that of our volunteers because they're typically older. Right. That's nice. And I do want to circle back kind of something you mentioned in passing that, um, you know, like a lifelong of putting your hand in your pocket could kind of mess you up physically and that you're kind of unlearning it with squatting. Is that is that a big difference to you since you started lifting how you carry yourself in your arm or is it still a work in progress? Yeah. Um, and like I said, in the gym, like everything's all out there and I walk like I don't give a shit. And that's what I need to like bring out into the public eye um, when I'm just out grocery shopping or whatever. It does help to be an active being, but the other 18 hours of your life per day, you know, are going to make a bigger impact. So some carryover, we're slowly creeping, work in progress. I'll take mm -hmm. it. It's Baby better than steps. no progress. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about you, Chloe? Was there a difference for you when you started lifting and, you know, kind of exploring, you know, your 
doing with your right hand and modifying? Did you kind of carry that over into, you know, real world and how you work or I how you see yourself? So. I think powerlifting is probably where I credit most of my self-esteem growth in the last six years when I started six years ago. I still struggle with it, though. I, you know, there's still days where I'm insecure and I'm like, well, I don't really want to be out in public with this. Maybe I'll wear long sleeves or something with pockets. So it's definitely still a work in progress, but it's better than it was six years ago. <laughs> yeah, okay, Damn. that's good. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Marcia is still like, stop making excuses for yourselves. <laughs> I mean, I, well, like like I said in the episode where we talked about ourselves and whatever, and we, we I think I got it figured out. So you know, you're getting closer to that. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting there. Getting there. <laughs> That's okay. And I mean, for me, I don't have anything to physically hide, right? But I mean, I do think that lifting has made me kind of more confident as a person, and you know, kind of just be able to put myself out there and not really care what happens next. So for me, that's probably how it carries over more is just like the confidence. I mean, obviously, physically, I don't have anything that people can see or that I have to hide or that sort of deal. But I definitely feel a lot more like a boss ass bitch. You know, I just lifted some heavy, you know, some heavy shit for years. Like, what? I'm not gonna let this guy tell me what to do at work. Fuck that guy. Like, (laughs) she doesn't mean that. Again, her work is in her gym, so. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. Wow. No, but everybody knows, though. Everybody knows. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I work I work in the gym, and then I also work at a daycare, but everybody knows, like, I don't, I'm not fucking around. Like, I'm here to do my job and have fun and be friendly and whatever, but, like, yeah. if I don't like something, I'm going to let somebody know. Like, if somebody wants it. to have drama, like, I'm going to let them know. Like, I don't. I don't have it. I don't have the energy for that stuff anymore. And, and like, that, I mean, it's your safety, too. Yeah. <laughs> your safety is your priority. Definitely. I mean, that's a combination of a couple things, but lifting has definitely contributed to that attitude. Yeah, I think in, in today's, like, day and age, um, I'm definitely a lot more thankful for where this community has gone. Like, if it weren't for the platform that we have now, you know, social media in the gym, with each other just starting this podcast like these conversations are so necessary but it's also constantly challenging me to like question a lot of the shit that I do in my real life um so again not that I'm making excuses but I think the fact that I've been (laughs) so comfortable in this environment it's like I need to bring everybody in for a conference you know I need to bring everybody in to talk about myself and I already have a hard time just wanting to talk about myself but if it were a new environment or if it were a job say that I would get surrounding um the work this type of work that I like love so much it would be an immediate like I think that's where I would challenge myself no matter where I go into in a new job setting um I think I would have to be out as a disabled woman. You right. Know? Yeah, it's a little different. You're you're in you've been in your situation for almost a decade and everybody is probably definitely comfortable with your abilities and what you're doing and how you work. So nobody's going to mm-hmm. see anything different unless they're new to your environment. And another thing too and I think Chloe m- mentioned this just in the past and you should probably bring it up today because it's so relevant, but like 
coming out as that and then coming out as like queer you know like what do they need to know or will they find out at a holiday party or how necessary like, well, is that from the whether you're queer or not yeah yeah just the layers of your identity like how much oh, do i have to sit there and tell you and peel back like yeah. Yeah, because I think you had a story about something that happened. Yeah, I have a so I have a secondhand story. I have to be kind of careful to not reveal identities in this story so that the person doesn't get backlash. But it's about um, a guy that brought up in an interview that he was gay, and I think it made the person given the interview kind of like, wait, like why would you bring that up? That doesn't matter. We don't care. But I think with that person giving the interview doesn't understand is sometimes it's just nice to get your differences like out there from the get-go so you know what kind of people you're working with like are these people going to accept me as is instead of having them find out later down the line yeah that's, yeah, that's exactly. true too and that's something that Eva was bringing up when she's looking for you know looking to employ an aide that's yeah. a part of her interview process because like she does not she's not gonna want to waste her time with a homophobe. It's not gonna be comfortable or a good experience. So like she gets it right out there. That's a part of the process. So I could definitely get that. That makes sense. Right. But as always, it's probably gonna depend on each person and what they're yeah. going through and what kind of job they're trying to get. And yeah. Like we can't make blanket statements for anything. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Totally. And like hiring someone versus being hired are two different I think fields so mm-hmm. I think in Eva's case she was you know hiring somebody yeah she's um, hiring someone in my perspective like I don't give a shit like we actually encourage that art is accessible to everybody so if you want to volunteer and then watch a show for free um we'll make it work and find a spot for you as long as you're a cool human being and you're not a again a homophobe a racist like mm-hmm. all the red flags um that we don't want to promote in our company but but the the place that he went to might not have had that kind of a message and maybe he felt like i'm not really mm-hmm. sure let me just settle this right yeah i'm thinking the place he went to probably didn't have that kind of message because that 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 might make it necessary if you'd be like all right hold on yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's see or the place could have been so forward in their thinking that they're like your sexuality doesn't matter here you could love and fuck whoever the hell you want why are you bringing this up during the job interview (laughs) like are you are you hitting on me (laughs) is there an attraction (laughs) yeah so as far as chloe goes and your massage business and all of that stuff did you do that out of like necessity or were you working in a regular nine to five and you're like this sucks or what what happened I was co-managing a horse barn these uh, performance horse barn and the owner actually has a chronic illness she had to shut down this training facility I wanted to continue working with horses, and I know I've kind of touched on this in a previous episode, but just to bring it like full circle, I wanted to continue working with horses, but I didn't want a job riding them because I had lost interest in that part of things. So I researched jobs with horses that didn't require riding, and I came up with, okay, I can be an equine body worker. I can do massage 
to help the performance horses perform their best. So I kind of forgot what your question was as I was telling that story. <laughs> um, that's okay. I'm, that's pretty much the question. Like, what? how did you find yourself where you are? So did you have those connections already and you kind of just tapped into it or did you start totally from scratch? I had some connections. So being that co-manager of the performance barn helped me get a foot in the door with clients. Um, but choosing to do the equine massage before I fully committed to it was a little bit weird because I knew I'm like okay this is a very hands-on job is this something I can do what are clients going to say when they see my difference so I had to kind of go through all of that mentally before I committed to it and I mean now but you're now you're going back to school and now you're juggling a couple of things yeah what's the direction okay I started back in school in August. Originally, I was like, I'm going to do radiology. That quickly changed to ultrasound or sonography. But when I went to the required job shadow for sonography, I was a little concerned about the tools they have to use with their hands. And I'm not sure long term that my right hand will be able to use the probes that they use. All right. Yeah. So I started looking at other options because I'm like, okay, well, what can I do with the classes I have been taking? So now I've settled on respiratory therapy. I think that's still going to be hands on, but to a lesser degree than like the sonography where you're holding that probe in your hand and you're moving it across the patient's body. I know that sounds kind of goofy because right now, obviously, as I work on horses, that is very like intensive hands-on stuff, but that's part of the reason why I'm kind of moving away from that. In addition to not being in the right market for it, it's it's too much for my right hand and my right arm to keep up with. So I've yeah. been experiencing like some numbness and stuff through my my arm that I'm like, okay, this is a sign that I'm doing too much. Right. Oh, and does that affect your lifting or has it gone even further to affect, you know, like washing your hair? The numbness? Yeah. It hasn't yet. I've been really diligent about going to the two different people that I see for body work. So the guy that does dry needling and then the woman that focuses on um, fascial work where she'll get into your scar tissue and stuff. And I found anytime she works on the scar tissue in my right arm, that will start to relieve that the numbness and the tingling that I'm getting. So I'm hoping as long as I stay on a regular schedule with her, I can kind of stay ahead of what's going on. Right. And is the respiratory therapy going to replace this or are you just going to kind of cut down on it? Because you still love the horses. I do love the horses. I'm going to have to cut down a lot though, because you know, like like I said, it's just, it's so much fired up from my upper body that I can't keep up with it. For like, I don't know, I don't know what I'll do. Probably less than five horses a week. Eventually, yeah. I think that would be a fair number. I can relate to that. Because when I first started having my illness issues and I started having trouble doing, you know, my training kind of suffered for a couple of years. I wasn't really doing much um, weight-wise, you know. So trying to get, you know, little bits of volume here and there that I could get in. But if I had to work, then I wasn't lifting. And you know, I used to work at a place that had like spinal cord injuries, like newly injured, strokes, and these are, you know, adults, and these are heavy people. 
and they need a lot of work. And, and they're coming to this private cash clinic because they want to get up and it's going to be like intense, you know, and they're going to get on a treadmill and they're going to move. I mean, so like you as a therapist, like, yeah, this is cool and motivational, but like I'm dying back here. <laughs> so I like, get a certain point. It's like, OK, I mean, I love this job and making some money, but this job doesn't love me. This isn't working out. Something's got to give. Right, right. You have to consider your body and long-term what you can see it doing. Um, I can relate to that. Yeah, definitely. And and I've also realized that even if it's not a physical effort, if there's a lot of mental effort and that stress isn't helpful either. So, I mean, in general, most people, you know, stress isn't good for your body, right? Like, it's not good. Don't stress out, you know, protect your energy kind of thing. But when you have a chronic illness, like stress could mean the difference from today I'm waking up fine and tomorrow my legs are like spazzing so hard that I have to like wrap the whole thing up in KT tape and yeah you know it could mean the difference between a regular day and a terrible one yeah I didn't consider that wow yeah so I mean like at this point in time if it makes me more stressed than it makes money like I'm not doing it it's <laughs> <That's, laughs> not much it. where I'm at I'm not doing it and and I finally got to a point where I, I dropped all the jobs that were either too mentally stressful mm-hmm. too physically stressful and I you know I kept one job which was the daycare job and at the time I wasn't even um it's like a contract so the facility is the facility and then they hire contract a therapist to do the therapy so like it's not like you work directly for them and I didn't even have that contract I was working for somebody and then that guy fucked it up and then I got the contract and so like now you know I I listened to my body and I honored what it was asking for and I paid attention and then I just got this opportunity dropped in my lap and I'm like okay great (laughs) but I mean if I wasn't paying attention maybe that wouldn't have happened I'm not really sure and so, so does that mean you also like um, dropped a lot of clients or you're doing very few per week, Marcia? Or Well, how, how you, I'm doing I know you my, do classes now. How I'm doing my cash clinic is, I mean, like my main every day, most of the days are at the daycare. I, mean, I spend like two, three days there a week. Um, that's like the main thing. And there's about 50 kids there and they all have, you know, like I'm the only physical therapist and I have two assistants under me. So I handle, like, if a kid needs a wheelchair, if they need braces, you know, I decide how many times a week they're going. I talk to the parents, all that stuff. Um, And then the rest of the week I might treat, you know, anywhere from zero to four people at my gym. So the gym thing is kind of another, like, an opportunity falling in my lap because my one of my best friends owns the gym. And we we used to be in this not even legal like, there's no way that place was legal, uh, kind of a gym, like a tiny little room. It was full of mold. Oh, God. Like, the electrical outlets were all crooked. Like, there's no way that was safe. <laughs> <laughs> and so they kept looking for new places. And, you know, they found one place, and they're like, oh, the rent's about the same. I don't know if we could swing it. But there's a little office in there, and if you could, you know, help us out a little bit, you could have it. And, and that was pretty much how I got oh. my clinic. Oh, damn. So it's kind of like, this is the gym I'm already going to. And now we're moving to a better place and I can help them pay the rent. Win-win. That's some damn good opportunities. Yeah. Because okay. of your expertise. Yeah. And Chloe, it's funny that you said you're cutting it down to five horses a week. <laughs> These are beings that are two, three times your size. Still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would only, yeah, they'd only be like 
it, usually clients do our sessions, so it'd be like five hours a week. That's not bad. I used to do, there were days where I was doing eight horses a day. No. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh, no. Hard pass. I won't do it anymore, but <laughs> in the beginning, I was like trying to take as many clients as I could get as I was getting started, and that proved to be, that was exhausting, so. And that was One all while you were still training, too. Yeah, still training. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, big yikes. Yeah, because yeah, you, you said somewhere where you tried to time it so that you don't have a client right, like, the same day that you bench or do yeah. any of her body stuff, right? Yep. So I talked about that on Tony Montgomery's podcast. He asked when I have heavy massage days, how do I structure my work week? If let's say I'm getting ready for a meet and I know I have a heavy bench coming up, I try to, let's say that bench is Wednesday. I'll try to do clients Monday, take Tuesday off and then bench Wednesday. Otherwise my bicep tendonitis in my left arm will really act up. Yeah. I think that that goes for a lot of massage therapists too that even do it on humans. That's that's a lot of yeah work for yeah, your upper body. Imagine. Like but you're not Marcia, just using your arms. I get it, but Marcia, yeah. do you have to change anything with your training and your clients? I mean, I'm, I work my weeks kind of the same thought process as you. Like week by week, I'm like, okay, this is what I have this day. Then I'm gonna train Monday. I'll do this. Tuesday, I'll do that. And I kind of structure it that way. You know, when I spend the first couple of days of the week at the daycare, I try not to add anything that's either too heavy or that I absolutely have to go to the gym for. Mm -hmm. I, am, I am lucky enough to have like a little garage set up. So I'll try to plan something that's simpler that I could do there. I make sure I have enough nap time, enough chill time because I can't. I can't go from, like, one thing to another. Like, you know, when you go to the gym and people are like, yeah, I just got off of work. And they're, like, in their work clothes. They change in yep. the bathroom. And then, no, I can't do that. Mm -mm. At the end of a work day, I'm literally dead inside. Like, I have to, like, my body needs, like, a chill. Like, it has, like, a, I don't know, maybe, like, a five-hour limit where it's, like, chill. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what I'm doing. It doesn't have to be, like, when I'm working with these kids and I'm, like, chasing them outside, like, I'm having fun. But my body's just like, I don't care. This is work. Calm down. Well, this <laughs> so, is... Like yep. the, the spoon analogy that you brought up in one of our earlier episodes, right? You only have so many spoons a day. Exactly. And I have so much energy. So I, I have to, number one, I have to be flexible. Even even if I plan for a certain week to go a certain way, I might wake up that day and it's just like, mm -mm, never mind. So my training, I try to plan around my work schedule. And even on top of that, it's still got to be flexible. I still have to shift things around and move things around and see what happens. But I definitely won't do anything. If, if I happen to have, you know, two or three people in a row at the gym, then I'm not going to plan to do, like, you know, 85% squats after that. Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible idea. <laughs> so that's kind of how I negotiate that part of it. And you guys definitely plan your plan your sessions around your competitions, like, yes. especially when you're traveling. So you don't have any that week. Yeah, I do. Oh, okay. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plan by by competition you know I mean in general most people will I would hope have a plan <laughs> when they have a competition I know <laughs> like oh sorry I'm just not going to show up because yeah. I'm competing now <laughs> and, and it's also great for that when you work for yourself is I have a competition coming up like I'm not going to schedule like like when I competed Saturday like I didn't schedule anybody that entire week uh, I went to the daycare for a couple of days, and Thursday, Friday, I didn't do shit. 
Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like to the point yeah. where I'm not even gonna leave the house. Like that's how rested I'm gonna be. Mm-hmm. Like, Good. Yeah. Wouldn't have that luxury if I worked a regular, you know, demanding right. kind of job. But yours was luckily local, right? Was it downtown? No, I had to drive, drive three yeah, hours. Drive. I mean, it is oh local, gosh. really. Yeah, I had to drive three hours. Well, oh, Chloe's coming out to California soon. I am. Marcia, you got to find anyway. one out here, too. Uh, well, okay. Where Where is it again, exactly? Is it San Diego? Mine? Yes. yes. Yeah. Del Mar and Fairgrounds. San Diego. Yeah. Am I saying that right? And how... <laughs> nobody knows. And how far is that from you, Mary Beth? Uh, that's on the other side of the state, but I will happily go down. I love watching Kern meets, even though there's, there was that huge transition from USPA to it's WRPF now, right? Yep. yep. Uh, Yeah. I don't, I don't care so much about, um, I love those federations equally. It's more of how everybody thinks of Gracie. (laughs) So everybody just dropped out and, but whatever, to each their own. What month is it? April. All right. Well, I guess I need to come in April. See how we'll see what happens. The pressure's Let's do on. Do it. With my bank account set up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. What's the grand prize for that? For women, overall uh-huh. Wilkes is twenty five thousand dollars. Oh, is holy insane. shit! Really? Isn't that insane? That's more than like nationals and worlds and what are like record breakers, everything yeah, combined. That's a lot. They're doing payouts for weight classes, too. I don't remember what they posted because they deleted it after they posted it. So I was like, okay. Um, but it, it's at least 1000 I think, for first place um, by weight class. Weight as long weight as you class. have – as long as there's five. All right. Um, you at least cover your expenses. Yeah, for sure. Because this hobby oh. is not cheap. No, it's not. <laughs> this little well, and that's, that's a lot in of itself for powerlifting. Like, they don't give that many awards. Right. You'd no. be lucky to get a medal if you're competing by yourself in a weight class. So. Yeah, it's not a thing. It's definitely but not a I thing. But I wonder who's even on that, that roster because I, I have seen no more than, like, five people. They posted it. It's stacked. All the weight Oh, classes. is it? Well, Your I don't class? know about all of them, but mine is stacked. Uh, the 165 women is going to be crazy. Of course, Mariana is doing it. I don't know how to say her last name. She's from Kazakhstan, oh, but yeah. she moved yeah. to California. So, I mean, she's probably going for that, the overall prize. Probably. And I don't is remember. CC competing? I don't remember seeing her name on there, now that oh. you said that. But she's she would be another runner for that, that top prize. Yeah, definitely. I wonder if that's around the same time that she's hosting the meet in New York with... Um, that's in Shane. May. That's in May. Okay. Just a yeah. month after. Oh, the, or the we can meet up at New York again. Shit, I want to go yeah. to that Sisters of Powerlifting meet. Oh, yeah. I'll be there. I love all these people. I'm going to learn you're how to squat. With, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm lifting. You're, you're lifting the meet? What? Yeah. What? The Legends of Sisterhood in May? Yeah, you are. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Let's go to New York then. Okay. Well, here we go. Fuck it. We're going everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, back on topic. <laughs> I guess. Sure. Kind of straight off there. That's alright. No, okay. I mean, yeah, those are all really good experiences that you brought up, and I, I feel like it could be similar for a lot of people, but also everyone has their unique ways of handling clients or handling job interviews and work settings and all that craziness um but i'd be curious to hear 
how everyone else deals with it. Definitely. I'm curious too if they have any advice or what their experiences have been. Yeah, and I find that. Where do we have people share these experiences? Like, do we come to our Instagram page or send them through our website? Good question. There's actually, so they can actually submit voice memos. Um, There's a link that's under our show notes if you either listen to us on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or some of the other ones where there's there's a link where you can submit a voice message and we can either play it for a future episode or respond to them um so that'd be a really cool way to interact with our listeners yeah so leave us i think we could we could easily update our bio link to kind of have a little directory of where to go and you know where to listen to our podcast and how to leave us a voice message and i think that'll be the main question to answer how you deal with that disclosure do you disclose your disability how do the job interviews go or even just like Chloe and I are running our own business and Chloe's still in a kind of finding which way which direction to go because owning your own hands-on business isn't for everyone but sometimes it could be for you so I, I would definitely love to hear some people leave us some voice messages and we'll share them and talk about them yeah perfect yay Alrighty. so leave us a voice message we'll talk soon love you guys And uh, remember, you guys are all boss-ass bitches. Disabled Girls out. Thanks for listening to Disabled Girls Who Left. We appreciate all of your support and everyone who's taken the time to show us some love. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, or write a review of our channel. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Player FM, Google Podcasts, and more. You can also find us on Instagram, at Disabled Girls Who Left.